0: Are you looking to modernize your veterinary practice by offering virtual care to pet owners? Fortunately, there's an easy solution from the podcast sponsor, Medici. That's M-E-D-I-C-I. Medici is a telehealth solution built for veterinarians. I've made it easy to check out Medici with a link in the show notes, or you can head over to their website, medici.md, or call 512-967-6454 to learn more. Medici lets you text, call, and video chat with clients with their easy-to-use app. Send or receive images and videos of pets, stay VCPR compliant, and get paid, which is always a wonderful thing for delivering convenient care right from your phone. Hi, this is Dr. Aaron Smiley, and I've offered telemedicine to my clients since I started. In 2017, I integrated paid telemedicine with Medici. Ready to go virtual? Visit Medici.md, that's M-E-D-I-C-I dot M-D, or call 512 967 6454 to learn more. And with that, here's the show. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I'm joined by Clint Latham, who is a JD and a Purdue Law grad and has his undergrad in information technology. He is the founder and owner of Luca Veterinary Data Security, whose mission is to advocate for privately owned practices around the country. IT is huge and vastly important and something that I know very little about. So Clint, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, again, both vet partners. I think that's a theme of a lot of my shows. It's just there's so many of us out there and it's fun to collaborate and chat through what we each do. And I thought like the combination of being an attorney or a lawyer and an IT expert is interesting. Anything that you took away from getting your JD that kind of helps you today and just the way that you think? Because I know a lot of people that have gotten their law degree and then don't use it necessarily in practice. So I want to share a little bit about that story.
1: I think the biggest takeaway, especially today, With new requirements like GDPR, CCPA, it's easy for me to read the language, right? It's easy for me to kind of understand what the requirements are. And as I went to law school, I actually loved contracts. Surprisingly enough, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I mean, there's an interesting story there. I was sitting on a board of a nonprofit called Victim Outreach, and it's here in the local county that I live in. The district attorney, he was on the board. A couple of his deputy DAs were on the board. And then the former district attorney, he was on the board. So it was like, there's this running joke that was like, once I graduated, I was going to go work for the DA. And there was thoughts about it because I was working in financial services at the time, building a, essentially a cloud infrastructure for financial services. And the company was about to sell. And I knew that that meant that potentially my job there might be over. And so, yeah, I considered it, but then... As I graduated and having spent time with them, I was like, I have no interest in working in criminal law. It just, yeah, it takes a special person to kind of handle that kind of stress and that kind of workload. And yeah, it wasn't for me. So, but yeah, I would say the biggest thing is, is, you know, and then when practices are looking at getting, say, a new x-ray table, a lot of times the big vendors are like, well, we'll give you the table for free, right? But there's some stipulations there. And they send over this massive legal document that their legal team—they probably have three or four attorneys on staff that help draft this thing—and just trying to be able to break that down into plain English to say, you know, well, this is what it really means. Are you okay with that? If not, then we may want to have your attorney maybe negotiate with them and figure that out, or what that looks like. But at least I can kind of help provide them some clear guidance into potentially what the language may mean or say. And then if we do need to seek legal counsel, you know, we can find somebody that's licensed in their area to help them out.
0: Awesome. Yeah, it's extremely helpful. Those acronyms that you threw out earlier, can you break those down? I think I know one oh, of them. yeah.
1: Okay. That's actually a great point in the vet med space is that I've been surveying a lot of different practices to kind of get a pulse on the industry. This is a total squirrel moment, but the reason that I think that that is interesting is I assume that everybody knows what GDPR is and CCPA is and these regulations that are coming down. So GDPR is the General Data Protection Regulation they went through the EU and so replaced an earlier directive. It was like 98, the directive 98 slash 96 that came out a number of years ago. And essentially, the biggest thing for American companies is that you no longer really get kind of leadway as an American business, maybe now doing business in the EU. If you were going to do business in the EU, you have to meet these certain data protection requirements under regulation. So that came out in 2018, two years later. So this year, the CCPA, which is the California Consumer Protection Act, released, it was supposed to go live May of this year. However, coronavirus has kind of put a halt on that, like a lot of other things. So the state of California has essentially said, Okay, we're gonna give you, I'm not sure what the leadway is. I think right now you have until the end of the year to kind of be compliant in that regard if you're doing business in the state of California. So the CCPA is it's very similar. There's some differences if we were to get in the nuts and bolts of it, but it's very similar to GDPR and just how you handle people's data and all that stuff. So yeah. But anyways, so the biggest problem I see in vetmed right now is everybody tells me, even people that are very technically savvy. I don't have any data. I'm not so worried about it. Why would anybody want my data? It's not very valuable. And then I asked him, well, what about GDPR or CCPA? Well, what is that? We just haven't really talked about these things as an industry. And so, yeah, I always make the assumption that I know what it is. And so everybody else knows what it is, but I'm finding out that really nobody in this in this industry yep. knows what it is.
0: Absolutely. And I think you're alluding to a point that has been said to me before, but I just remembered it because it was on a podcast or someone told me it to me, the curse of knowledge, like you have the mm-hmm. knowledge and expertise that you just know all this stuff. And it's like, well, shoot, everyone knows all this stuff. Yeah. Curse of knowledge. Same way that, you know, a veterinarian has the curse of knowledge of knowing all this stuff. And then you have a patient walk through the door and you're explaining stuff and you're like, Hey, we're gonna do this and this. And I'm like, huh? Like what? Patient client? Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. So that is definitely something that's a good reminder for both of us and anyone listening, just as you're interacting and knowing what you know, not everyone else knows that. Thinking about the AVMA, just kind of came out and started offering the cybersecurity insurance protection. What's important? How do you evaluate cybersecurity insurance and think about that? Um, Any thoughts that you've seen?
1: Yeah, when I got word that the AVMA was releasing it, it was music to my ears. I think mostly from my own personal perspective, because now the AVMA is saying things that I've been preaching for a number of years, right? But it's very hard when you're a data security professional. People are like, well, this is your business. This is your wheelhouse. So of course you think it's important. So for me to hear an organization in the vet space like the ABMA talk about the importance of protecting your practice and the value of your data and that we are in the crosshairs And that's another thing. I mean, most vets don't think that they're going to be attacked because they think attacks are targeted specifically, right? They think that they have a specific target on their back. But what they don't realize is that if I'm a hacker, that's a waste of my time to try to go after a single business. I'm basically going to take a waterfall approach, right? So I'm going to craft some tool that looks for certain attributes across all businesses across the globe. And then I'm going to release that attack out on the world. And whoever is most vulnerable, so has the path of least resistance for me to get in, that's who I'm going to go after. Now, unfortunately, most practices, not only is their technology maybe 10 years behind, they haven't been keeping up on it, That also results in massive holes in the fence that just allow people to get in. So we are a big target. So kind of back to the AVMA conversation, I've actually had a couple conversations with them and having another one with them and DVM 360 because even the AVMA will admit that they're doing well with it and it's a great product. So it's not that the product is bad, but again, it's this idea that the industry as a whole doesn't realize the importance of cybersecurity and data protection. And as a result, it's been a harder product for them to market right even getting people to sign up for their webinars to get educated and to learn what's going on in the space and how to protect them is difficult and i think the last webinar that they gave they gave an example that i think the average attack for most practices is a $130,000 bill i mean you're in the financial space right most practices are probably in that 10% profit margin range i would guess you know if you're doing pretty well maybe you're in 20% so what, you know, if you're $2 million a year practice, and let's say you're at 20%, that's what 200 grand, right? So there goes all of your profit, because you just weren't well prepared. Well, the exception, right? I mean, I'm not the best at math. So doing the math, I mean, you would still have potentially 70 grand in the bank. But do you want to pay out pretty much all the profit you worked for for one year to grow your business, because you didn't take it seriously enough? And the AVMA has a great product to help you cover those costs and to help you not flip that bill. And I think it's relatively inexpensive. So yeah, if there's anything that I can do, my primary goal, my primary soapbox is you have data that's important. It is your data, that's the other piece, and you should protect it. And there are great ways to protect it it that don't cost an arm and a leg.
0: Yeah, just thinking about how expensive that is. If you knew that you could have something to mitigate that and just think of it from a dollars and cents standpoint, like, well, yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. But I would probably fall in line with most folks that I would not be lining up to, sit on a cybersecurity webinar. So I get it. It is (laughs) is super important. And there are people that truly care like yourself that can be there to help someone and support them. And when I think about actionable things that people can do from a cybersecurity standpoint, I mean, if I'm just trying to get something in place, give me the building blocks or some actionable like things to start thinking about.
1: So shameless self-promotion. I do have a free ebook. You can get this for free. It's five simple steps you can do to protect your practice. And these are things you could probably do in a weekend or things you could probably do over a couple lunch hours. I'd be happy to share that out with anybody who wants it. It's free. We'll
0: put it in the show notes. It's easy to find it.
1: Yeah, there you go. But yeah, I mean, so I would say the first thing is passwords, right? How are you managing your passwords? If you're a Cornerstone Clinic, are you using IDEX? I'll, you could probably guess the rest of the password there for everything in your practice. You know, are you using that default password? I can't tell you how many times I walk into a clinic and they've got passwords just on sticky notes on the computers and all sorts of things. So if we think about password management, the number one attack these days is it comes down to what we call social engineering. So, it doesn't require anybody to be really super technically savvy. It just requires them to know how to manipulate people. So, potentially, what that means is I could bring my dog Fluffy and get a basic exam for 60 bucks or whatever the going rate is 60, 80 bucks. In that process, while you're checking me out, I can be taking pictures of all the passwords you have on those sticky notes. Sometimes I'll even see as I walk into clinics and I kind of try to think like somebody that's going to hack them and what things would I want to steal? What would I want to take pictures of? I'll see stamps with our bank account information on it. I mean, there's so much information readily available that I don't have to really do anything to to start the process for me to attack your business. Right. So really. Think about your password management. There's some great tools out there like 1Password or LastPass that will create unique passwords for you. It's also a great way to... They have business accounts. So you can make your practice management system, your bank account, all this stuff, these in 25 character, really insane long passwords that nobody's ever going to remember, which is a good thing. But then you can assign accounts to them and make it easy. So really, the users are just, you can even patch it into a web browser. So it auto fills those passwords. So the great thing is, is let's say Susie receptionist leaves, we don't have to worry about updating that super long password, we basically just change her password in the password manager, she no longer has access to it. Unless she was really trying to be deceitful, I mean, maybe she wrote that 25 character password down there. Maybe there's some stuff we want to change, but we can auto generate it in one password. The next time we go to that website, one password will notice that it's a new account and it helps you update it and all that stuff. So it's just a really great way to manage your passwords. So the first thing is, is really think about how you're managing your passwords. But the second piece is there's some great free tools that are out there. One is, have I been pwned? And the other one is Virus Total. So the Pwned one is great. And it's, uh, again, the website is just haveibeenpwned.com. If you Google that, you'll find it. Dump your email address, any usernames that you use, dump it in there, and it'll tell you if that email address or that username has ever been compromised. And what I mean by that is that I can go out on the dark web right now and download lists of passwords, usernames and passwords for free. And there's even an operating system that has them all baked in. So it's kind of constantly looking for the latest and greatest usernames and password lists, and it's updating that. Because again, this idea that I'm attacking a single site, that's just not the way it works. I build a machine or a bot and I dump millions of usernames and passwords and then it just goes and crunches all these usernames and passwords against websites, against our business until it finds a way in. Once it finds a way in, it's like, hey, I'm in. And it did it for me and it ran in 30 minutes, right? So again, is your email address or password. Has it ever been compromised? If it has, again, think about using something like LastPass, 1Password to manage those passwords. Make sure those have been updated. VirusTotal, I think, is a great one. It's a website. Most people these days and most practices I talk with, they're like, hey, I have antivirus on the machine. Yeah, we have antivirus. Our IT guy has like antivirus or we downloaded some antivirus. I can tell you right now, antivirus is out of date. And you really need something that's based on machine learning and it's AI-based and that's analyzing billions of machines across the network or across the globe to constantly update itself against the latest and greatest attacks. So VirusTotal is a great example of that. I could send you a file and you could upload it that we know is infected and you'll see how many antivirus tools actually catch it. Sometimes it's like 30%, like only 30% of the antivirus tools catch it. But the great thing is, is that unfortunately, I've seen a lot of practices that get hacked through resumes, right? So again, back to the social engineering thing, we know that you're always hiring. So if I'm looking for a business to attack and I'm like, oh, here's this vet practice, it's always looking for vet techs. Every time I go on this job search board, I see them. And so I can't tell you how many times I've seen it where somebody has sent them a resume that's fake, and then their entire network gets encrypted and all their data gets hacked. And now... There's this new threat that's out that's multi-stage ransomware, which is kind of a blackmail slash ransomware attack. That's a whole nother ball wax. But again, if you ever get a, an attachment from somebody you don't know, run it through VirusTotal. So those are kind of the two big things. Mike could go into the other ones if you wanted me to, but I'm kind of rambling now.
0: No, you're fine. Keep going. I love LastPass. I use it for my business. Okay, and awesome. I think it's fantastic. And I've told so many different people like, hey, this is an easy thing. And they're like, wow, this is exactly.
1: great. Yeah. <laughs> and what's interesting is we as security professionals, one thing that we talk about is that the industry, so technology wasn't really meant to have usernames and passwords, right? It was an afterthought. So now as we're developing software and tools, we're thinking about different ways to integrate better security. Like look at Microsoft or the Apple approach, they're using facial recognition, right? So how hard is it going to be to completely copy the shape of my face to get access to my machine or my data? These are approaches that are really thinking about security in a unique way. But as technology doubles every year, we weren't really thinking about these things. We weren't aware of the threats that were out there. So usernames and passwords is one of those things that just kind of was like, here's a solution maybe. So yeah, great way to do it. The second piece is really, and I think this is the one where most practices make the biggest mistake is just their backup management. I had this thought this morning and so I'll use the same thought. So how many practices out there If you do a surgery on a dog, let's say Jake, the lab comes in, he ate a basket full of laundry, right? And so you have to cut all this stuff out of him. How many practices out there would just say, okay, cool, we cut it out. See you later. We hope he does good, right? There's no post-op follow-up. Well, I would hope that every practice out there listening has some sort of post-op follow-up, right? But why do they have the post-op follow-up? for the recovery. So we need to think what's important is, is we made a change to this animal to help potentially save its life. But what's really important is the recovery aspect. So if we don't pay attention to the recovery piece, the surgery was pointless, right? So if something goes wrong in the recovery, the surgery did us no good because we end up losing the animal anyways. So what I see with more and more practices than I can say is they're like, yeah, our data is backed up. But then I end up getting a call from a practice. that's like, yeah, we thought our data was backed up, but we had no post-op on our backup process. And so what I mean by that is that they actually didn't look to see if there was an active recovery process. Can we actually go through the recovery process of recovering our data? Do we know how often it's backing up? Thinking about things of how long can we be without the data? So we're backing it up somewhere, but how long does it actually take it to get it back? So if we had some scenario where we have to lean on that backup, how long does it take to get back to us and live, right? So what's our real-time recovery objective? And then our recovery point objective are kind of two things to think about. So how long can you be down? Your QuickBooks data, you may be able to live without for a week, right? So you maybe only need to back that up every Friday because you're reconciling your invoices every Friday, right? So once a week. But your practice management data is changing every minute, every 30 seconds. So if we're backing up once a week, what's that thought process if you lose a week's worth of data and you have to go back to a backup? So these are all things that nobody ever thinks about. And unfortunately, they don't think about it until it's too late. And they're kind of stuck in this really bad position. So really, it's thinking about how is your data backed up and really just testing it some way. Do your due diligence. Don't just trust your IT guy. Say, hey, let's do a test. I want to know how long it's going to take to get this back. And can I live with that amount of time that it took? So that's the biggest thing. It's really how is your data being backed up and how fast can you get it?
0: Perfect. I think those are great examples and things to think about as far as the risk to continuing to function like normal and do what you enjoy doing and not chasing down something to be like, oh, or, you know, if it would ever get out that all this data was lost or that you're not running your business effectively. like what reputational damage does that have?
1: I mean, that's the other thing is that most people, like they don't think, well, again, back to that idea that well, I don't have any valuable data, so why would anybody want my data? But again, if we just use California as an example with the CCPA, the California Consumer Protection Act, you have that act that says if personally identifiable information in combination with something else gets out, your client has the right to sue you. And then you also have the Medical Board of California that also says that you cannot disclose veterinary patient information without the consent of the pet parent, right, or the actual client. So if somebody gets a hold of that data and then releases it, I mean, think about just the public persona ramifications. Say I take Fluffy there and I'm living in Southern California and I'm living the credit card rich life, right? So I really don't have any money, but I like to pretend I have a bunch of money. And I go there and then the clinic says, hey, your dog needs all these services. But I'm like, dude, I can't afford it, right? But I have this persona with all my friends that I'm rich, right? And then the data gets hacked and that gets leaked. And all of our friends are like, hey, don't you go there? And then they see in my patient records and in my notes, client couldn't afford it. I mean, this is kind of an extreme example, but how does this now hurt my reputation with other people? Like, so you're driving this Benz and you've got all this stuff, but you can't even take care of your own dog. And this is just the power of data as a whole. So yeah, so there's both legal and financial ramifications from data. Yeah,
0: tell us a little bit about Luca, the mission, and the logo, which was one of the things that when we first connected and talked about what you were doing, I was like, okay, help me understand the three-legged dog. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So it's probably best just to tell the story there. So I have two York, well, I have one Yorkie now. We lost one just before WBC this year. So a friend of mine worked with military service animals and she had sent me an article on these Yorkies that were parachuting behind enemy lines in World War II, and they were doing all this stuff in the trenches. And so we were joking that, you know, Yorkies aren't just purse dogs. But there was this article linked below about this other dog, and that dog's name was Luca. And so that's where the company name comes from. But what was fascinating is as I read her story, it was just something that I really, it just struck home with me. and It was everything I wanted this company to embody in everything that I thought I should embrace. And so Luca served in the Afghan and Iraq wars, and her job was to lead the charge for the Marines into new territory. And she would find human threats, bombs, whatever, right? So just hidden threats. On her last tour of duty, she had found an IED that was hidden. So the Marines come up, they start disarming it, She does what she does best. She just charges ahead. She finds another ID. Before the Marines could get there, unfortunately, the ID went off. And so she took the brunt of the impact. But the Veterinary Corps of Engineers was there. They airlifted her out. And so she ended up just losing a limb. And what I loved about that story from a technology perspective is that I wanted Luca to be there to guide practices and give them a clear guided path through the technology landscape right? Because there's all these hidden threats and dangers that lurk around every corner in technology. And as veterinary professionals, we're focused on doing good medicine. We're not focused on these hidden threats. So we need somebody there to give us this clear guided path and to sniff out the threats and then to be there to take the brunt of the impact should one of those threats try to attack us. And so it was really, when I read that, I was like, this is everything I wanted the company to be about. And then also just the, I mean, as a dog owner, there's no way to describe that human-animal bond other than just, you know, another amazing service animal. Another, another interesting thing about Luca is that she did over 400 tours and she never lost a single soldier, which is pretty amazing. So it's like it just gives you a real high standard to try to live up to.
0: Yeah. You know, hey, if being the IT expert maybe it doesn't work out, I think marketing. I mean, the branding, the <laughs> cost,
1: it's so good. like
0: it, yeah. It's great. So, yeah, I yeah, appreciate that. I love that story. Extremely interesting you had a LinkedIn post where you cited most veterinary practices spend between about one and a half to 3% of gross revenue on IT. And that's out of the question. But there's a way to stay within AHA's recommendation of about half a percent. Can you explain to me, A, why are people overpaying and voluntarily overpaying? And like, how do you make that big of a difference? So again, going back to if you're running a profit margins around mid-teens or 10%, like, that's legitimate. That's a vacation or that's bonuses to people.
1: Yeah. So this kind of came back to when I first started in the technology space in vet med is that I think that most practices can't afford that. So there are a lot of great companies out there. I mean, I could name a number of great companies, one in particular that I worked with, that if you have that kind of budget, then I would recommend them until the sun comes home. But unfortunately, for most practices, it's just out of the question, right? Like there's no way they're going to spend anywhere from. 1500 upwards of $5,000 a month on IT costs. And for most practices that I've talked with, they're also like, that's a full time employee, right? For them, they can hire a level one support tech to actually work in the hospital, maybe also do some reception work or some other admin work within the practice, and then help out with that basic tier one support for less than the cost of hiring a more red carpet IT service. And then you have AHA and their pulse points. It says, yeah, you should be spending roughly half a percent on your IT contracts. And so the idea is like, how do we provide a good service? How do we help to minimize the cost of IT? And this is what I started to see as I was working with more and more practices. Again, to use an analogy in vet med is that having two Yorkie or having a Yorkie now, my DVMO, as long as I can remember, has always said, we got to clean his teeth once to twice a year, right? Well, his reasoning is, is that if we can help prevent that periodontal disease, it has this downstream effect on his overall health. And so as he ages and gets older, we can kind of help give him a better quality of life and overall health by starting with the teeth, right? And then we can work on everything else. And IT is kind of really the same thing. So if we think about data protection and security first, and we look at where those holes are, that has a downstream effect on the overall health of your IT network, reducing your need to have somebody there to constantly fix some more of those administrative-based issues, like slow computers, slow networks, that sort of thing. And then again, allowing us to kind of be smarter in budget and keep our dollars right around this point for half a percent per se. So I could get in the technical reasons why, but I think really what I have found is that if we start with the security side of things, that has this downstream effect on your overall IT. And through that, we can work to lower your overall costs. Perfect. Thank
0: you for that. I do think it's important. It's one of those things that it's not a, hey, we can't spend this. It's how do you be intelligent with it, make sure you're getting good service and understand the risks that are there and work with someone that knows what they're doing and can help you accomplish that. It doesn't have to be the person that charges you the least amount or anything like that. But yeah, you want to make sure that tangibly your business can still function. Like It's no good to not be able to pay your people because hey our IT's great but we don't have
1: any staff. <laughs> Yeah like, exactly yeah.
0: So I think just trying to yeah be cognizant of that is great and again for me it ties in great to your mission as far as being an advocate for privately owned clinics across the country like there's clinics of all shapes and sizes not everyone is an aid doctor practice that has the budget like that so one of the things that I think is really interesting is hearing back from listeners and having people tune in the podcast and they know that I'm an advocate for private practice ownership, which is, again, part of why we're having this discussion. Because if you're going to be an owner, you need to get your IT right to make sure your business has longevity and you don't have issues. You and I both started businesses. What do you think, just stepping outside of the IT piece, what's been the aspect that surprised you the most? What's been the hardest part? What's been the most fun part as you've kind of had this journey to launch Luca?
1: So just from a business owner perspective as a whole? Yeah, just, yeah. Just, yeah, you can yeah. take off the idea, of just running the business, like
0: figuring that stuff out. And I think it is hard. I mean, I, I guess I'd answer the question for you: it's not easy. And same way right. when that's going to start a vet practice or buy a vet practice, it's not easy.
1: Yeah. So I would say focus on a mission, right? Like, how is it that you want to change people? I have tried to stay true to that ever since I launched this and even before that. So... Even before working with another company, my mission was always, how do I change somebody and how do I change somebody for the better? And I think when you do that, you build an amazing community of people around you. And when it comes time for you to jump ship and for you to do your own thing, you will realize the amount of people that are in your corner that are willing to support you and help you. So I think the biggest surprise for me was just when I had made the leap. I mean, the first two weeks. I don't think I've been on the phone that much in my entire life. Just all the people that were willing to, A, listen to me, talk to me, call me, just to say, hey, I want to figure out some way to help you and not to like stand on my own soapbox or to toot my own horn. But I think it just goes back to when you really do have the goal of being of service to somebody else, that comes back tenfold. And I didn't really realize that until it was time for me to kind of (laughs) reap the rewards, for lack of a better term to realize the amazing support in the community. I also think that in the vet space, like if you're thinking about opening your own vet practice, this is one of the reasons that I wanted to specialize in the vet space is that I just love the people. If it wasn't for the people in the community, you know, maybe I would have focused on something else. Maybe I would have done something in the endurance sports industry or coffee or something else that I'm really passionate about. But it was just for me, it was the people. And so that was probably the biggest thing. And so anybody that's out there, A, how do you want to change people? So if you're going to open a practice, how are you going to change your clients' lives, right? And how do you want to change them for the better? And then there are probably 10 people that you know that you could pick up the phone and call and just say, hey, I'm doing this. Can you help me? When you say that, they probably know somebody else and then they know somebody else and they know somebody else. So it wasn't like... When I jumped ship, the AVMA was beating down my door to talk to me. The reason I was able to start to work and build a partnership and relationship with them was because somebody else I knew that trusted me and believed in me made that introduction. So again, I think the power of your own community and your own network, as long as you in your own heart, I can't say this enough. If you go, because I've seen many people who go about it very surface level and kind of fake, right? Like You can tell like, oh yeah, I want to help you, but really it's all about them, right? So I think if you're genuine, in trying to accomplish whatever goal that is, and you have the heart of really helping people, those people will return the favor.
0: 100%. Three things that I take away from that is having a mission. So understanding what you're trying to accomplish, having true relationships prior to that, not the fake like, hey, I know I'm going to need you in the future. Like, I'll just kind of keep you on the hook until I can get the ask. And then what those connections can do long-term. And I always look at it from like an investing standpoint to talk about compound interest and how it's like the eighth wonder of the world, all this other stuff. Relationships are the same way. It's amazing when you have good quality, sound people that can give you advice, guidance, maybe course correct you if you're going about things the wrong way, but then help you out when there are certain situations. And it's great to be on the other side of that. Like if someone gave you a call and said, hey, I'm going to do this and I got something going on that you trusted them and you'd be the first one to say, here, I got you. Let me show you how we're going to do this. And yeah, it's awesome. So I would say totally agree. I think that's great advice for anyone that's doing that and just, yeah, things to think through.
1: Yeah, I think a personal example on that is I had a friend actually, who uh, owns a different business. And again, I wanted to return the. you know, I'm always like, let me know if there's any way I can help you. And I had to help make an introduction for him. And now he's like writing the cover story for today's veterinary business. And he texted me and he was like, dude, I can't thank you enough for that. And that brought me more joy than the first client ever landed, right? Like it was this idea that dude, that's awesome. You deserve it. And I'm really glad that I could be some sort of stepping stone in you achieving that because I think that's amazing. Yeah. If you can really learn to enjoy other people's successes and celebrate with them, it'll have a massive impact on not only your personal life, but also your business life.
0: Yep. Having gratitude and being appreciative of others and also just supporting them and celebrating their wins is great. But also at the same time, you don't need to measure yourself against other people that are... Right. Exactly define your own success i think that's a huge issue that sometimes people have is they'll have like the goalposts of oh, when i get here i'll be happy and then it always continues to go out farther yeah
1: exactly yeah
0: right yeah. sometimes when you do great things and do accomplished stuff like allow yourself to say hey good work don't have to be complacent but at least allow yourself to realize that you did something pretty cool and special so as we wrap up okay we'll link to the, the five different kind of things the, that five simple can...
1: steps that protect your yeah. practice
0: Stumbling <laughs> <a problem. laughs> yeah, thank you. um For those that are listening, A, I would say follow you on LinkedIn because I know you put out good content there. Where else would you send them, tell them to get in touch with you? Like where would you like them to go?
1: Yeah, the easiest is probably just the website, luca.vet. So that's L-U-C-C-A dot V-E-T. Just go there. You can fill out the contact form. Be more than happy to help you any way I can. LinkedIn too. I don't use Facebook or anything like that. So yeah, so LinkedIn is kind of the only social media platform I'm on. But yeah, or LinkedIn.
0: Perfect. Thanks so much. I appreciate the time.
1: No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. Isaiah is the founder of ID Financial Planning and Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor in the state of Indiana. The biggest compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is a platform that is predominantly how people listen to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and give us an honest review and rating. That'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links, and information, head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can also subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information and insights and the ability to have your voice heard, please consider joining the private podcast Facebook group. You can search for the Veterinary success podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll down to the about your host and click on the Facebook icon. Then I can approve you, let you into the group and would love to hear from you there. Thanks for listening and I'll be talking again to you soon.